This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Tension is as high as it's been since 1994. Yes. It's all talk right now. Once the paychecks are in jeopardy, that is when this gets interesting. So we want to grow the game. Really? Yeah. Well, don't have a work stoppage. Fix the sport. Make the game more entertaining. Make it more competitive. All of these things. Do you think fans typically care? Should they care? I actually do think they care. That music you're hearing is supposed to sound like The Killers, a band I became obsessed with really starting last year, you know, only about like 16 years after their debut, uh, as one naturally uh, does. But you're not here to hear about my odd music choices. I'm Evan Drellick. I cover the business of baseball for The Athletic, and we're starting something new on The Athletic Baseball Show this week. From now up through probably December and possibly beyond, we're going to have discussions about labor and baseball, about the collective bargaining agreement and the looming lockout that could be coming on December 2nd. Baseball CBA expires at midnight on December 1st. And if there's no deal by then, owners in the sport are very likely to freeze the entirety of the offseason. Free agency, all the transactions would be on hold until there is a new deal. And there's a lot of different topics to explore with collective bargaining. I know it sounds a little bit boring. Um, we're, we're not going to treat this as lawyers. I'm not a lawyer, but there's a lot of topical discussions to have because the CBA influences like literally everything in the sport. Um, anything from when a player makes his debut to when they become a free agent uh, to all the roster moves in between, how players are paid. Uh, it, it's the guiding force for all the different maneuvers that teams undertake and the strategies that they employ. And it's been a rancorous situation for some time now where it's been building and building and building. And it's time we talk about it. And for this first episode, my labor writing partner, Ken Rosenthal, who covers everything baseball for The Athletic, joined me. We are in Carlsbad, California, the site of the general managers' meetings this year. The GMs today, uh, those in the American League, spoke a little bit about the looming labor situation, and their responses were mostly that up until December 1st, at least, it's going to be business as usual. I'm not so sure that's the case, but Ken and I dive into a little bit of the scene and set the scene for us heading into what will be likely very contentious talks. Kenny, I don't know if you feel this way, but to me for months, if not like more than a year at this point, it's felt inevitable that what is now like three weeks away is going to produce a lockout. Have you had that same sense that I have? Yes, absolutely. And Evan, I don't know if it's been only a year. It's been a massive buildup to this moment. And because of what has happened all throughout the pandemic and even before, it seems that the two sides have a really hard time getting on the same page. And because of that, it's hard to believe that all of a sudden, with the biggest issues at stake, 
now everything's going to be hunky-dory. I'm not feeling that. We, we haven't had a chance yet to talk to the GMs. That's starting today. You're going to be listening to this a day later. Um, does it cast a pall on, on the GM meetings? Does it do anything for free agency leading up to December 1st and the expiration of the CBA? There is definitely a different feeling at these meetings because of the uncertainty created by the lack of a CBA going forward. Talked to one GM this morning who said, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to gauge this market and things that are happening. Now, we saw a free agent sign this week, Andrew Heaney. There will be others as well. Guys who want to get done, who maybe aren't the biggest financial investments that aren't going to affect a team in luxury tax, whatever the case is with the luxury tax. So we are going to see things happen. I would expect trades to happen. We saw the Reds make a trade with Tucker Barnhart, and then they let Wade Miley go on a waiver claim. There will be transactions. I just don't know if we're going to see before December 1st, Carlos Correa sign his next contract. I'd be really, really shocked if anything along those lines happened. Right. It's going to be all the one-year guys. So you think that all the big fish are going to still be sitting out there for whenever this ends, for whenever they get a deal done. I would imagine that's the case. Now, there may be an exception with a targeted player, maybe like a Javi Baez, who Team X says, you know what, Javier, we love you. We want you at, just for the sake of discussion, $150 million. And he says, you know what, that's probably as good as it's going to be for me. Right. Uh, but even then, if I'm Baez and his agent, I'm thinking, well, okay, hold on. Once the CBA is in place, what always happens traditionally, historically in this game when there's a new CBA? Spending goes crazy because owners are like, hey, we got five years now, man, let's go. So in that sense, free agents, I would think, would want to wait. Right. You've been doing this a long time. Uh, You've covered labor fights in the past. Do you think fan? you know, I I should preface this by – saying my job these days along with with you is to focus on labor so i'm into it i find it interesting do you think fans typically care and and i guess the extension of that is should they care i actually do think they care and i think that for a number of reasons one fans mostly today are savvy enough to understand that the cba is what determines the economic landscape and Mm -hmm. In many ways, the relationship between the players and owners also leads to rules changes and the entire structure of the game. So fans, it seems to me, do care. And you can look at just the number of comments that are on our stories, the stories you write about labor. You might think this stuff is dry, and in many ways it is dry. But people are interested, and yes, definitely should be interested. I don't have any concern when we enter a period like this that, oh, we're going to Just turn off the audience because the audience knows how important this is. And also, there is an entire history here going back to the formation of the union, going back to all the work stoppages in the past that older fans are certainly familiar with. And if you like stories and narratives, this is an interesting chapter in that narrative. You you think people care beyond – what I had convinced myself of in like, I don't know, the last day is that what people care about is whether the games are going to be held or not. But with that, yes, no, that's definitely the first concern. And even to the casual fan, that's why this matters, right? But the more informed fan, the people who read the athletic, 
baseball coverage, for instance. We love and, you, readers. And many others, yes. They understand that this stuff is meaningful. And that arbitration, three years versus two years, free agency, six versus five, service time manipulation, all of these different things are meaningful and important and, again, determine just what we're seeing out there. Right. It's kind of the, the levers of power, mm-hmm. I, I guess, as I often describe why I'm interested in it. It, do, it does control and shape everything. I mean, the, the game on the field these days, I, I, it's not entirely random, but, there, but there's so much there's so much power vested in these lawyers. Yes. Uh, Too much, maybe. <laughs> that might be the case, probably outside of baseball as well. You know, they, they've both been, the league and the union have been very purposefully quiet uh, thus far. You know, if you think back to last year in the pandemic, they it were was, not purposely quiet. It was flying. Right. <laughs> so what do you think of that uh, approach so far? Is, is um, positive? Should if, if one were to be critical of the noise of last year, should one be praising of their approach through now? Only one thing matters here, and that's if they get a deal. And if the deal is one that leads to a better place for the sport. So if being quiet and keeping the evil media away from these delicate negotiations is a way to get to an agreement, be my guest. God bless you. However, if being quiet leads to the same old crap that was happening when they were making a lot of noise, then shame on you. And that's how I feel about it. Obviously, I prefer they'd be talking and ripping each other the it's way they were. It's a weird thing. Was, like, like, from a reporter, per, I've always felt, even with like players, right? You know, player says something and there'll be a backlash. Well, he should just shut up, right? Right. right. I, from, from like a news gathering perspective and just in general, like I prefer to, that people are open and honest and talk. But then you can also sit there and evaluate, okay, what is the effect of talking? Well, and that's yes. what w- it was last year. It's the and effect of talking. In fairness, and this I hear from agents too on contract negotiations, which are much simpler than CBA negotiations, but agents will often tell me, I have no interest in saying anything. It doesn't do me any good. It can only harm me. Yeah. And there are examples of this, actually. So I understand that the same is true in collective bargaining. And certainly baseball collective bargaining is not like coal miners collective bargaining because there's a lot more attention paid to it. But at the same time, I would say the same thing once more. It's all about the final play. And if they get there, again, good for them. And if the way to get there was by shutting us out, I can live with that. But guess what? We're still going to find stories. Sure. Even with their supposed silence. They will present themselves. Yes. They do through our news gathering efforts. Um, Does the environment – you and I have written uh, probably individually and together in stories that the tension is as high as it's been since 1994. Yes. I was a little too young to to personally remember this. Does that – It's entirely fair. You you think that that is – 2002 when they, they almost had a lockout. Doesn't it doesn't come close to what we see today? The player anger, whether purposefully directed or not, is higher than it's been. I do think that's safe to say. And yes, there were skirmishes along the way. Each negotiation produces that. It's the natural conflict that takes place. But there is a feeling now among players, not all but some, and I'd say a large percentage, that we were done wrong in 2016 and maybe even in 2012. 
and that this needs to even out. And we can go into all the details and the different arguments, tanking and competitive situations and all of that. But the players in general feel that way and they are not happy. And that's different. Now, the real question here is how does that unhappiness manifest itself? Because it's all talk right now. And once the lockout starts and once the paychecks are in jeopardy, that is when this gets interesting. Because this united front that the players are presenting right now, which probably isn't as united as we think it is because it never is, well, it will be tested. And there will be players who say, what are we doing here? Why are we fighting for this, this, and this when we're losing money? And that's when it really – the rubber hits the road. Right. The, the question about a lockout, it, it, if at this point we kind of assume it's inevitable, barring some sort of you know, last-minute miracle where they, they come together, it, the question is less whether one happens – but how long does it last? Yes. Does it go a week in December and then they still hold the winter meetings? Or, you know, are we wondering whether we have to pack our bags for spring training at all? To me, Evan, the real deadline is February 1st, not December 1st. Because December 1st, the season's not in jeopardy. Yeah. February 1st, at that point, you need a deal. You need time to get the free agent signed and open camps. Even if camps open a little bit late, who cares? Right. You had the shortened spring training yes. last year. And they can we, do it. We can get away with a shortened spring training. But now there are other dynamics that could, I guess, come into play. Could they extend the deadline if they're feeling like they're close on December 1st? I guess they could. And then hold the winter meetings. But again, you'd have the winter meetings with this uncertainty about yeah. what the CBA is. So they need to get a deal, period. Yeah, they, 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 they technically could – it is a choice ultimately that the owners would be making to, to bring right. forth a lockout. Uh, but it, it does not sound to, to me and probably not to you either that they have any interest in dawdling once December Well, and as arrives. you wrote in your lockout explainer recently, which was really good and detailed and a good explainer, lockouts and strikes are leverage points. Yeah. And they are things that owners and players use to – hopefully advance their points of view and get the discussions rolling. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So we can say one nice thing about the the two sides here, which is that they did, albeit with with certainly with some imperfections, they did manage to to work together on the COVID protocols. Yes, right. They, they, we we successfully had a twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one World Series. It's not that the the sports procedure through COVID was not without controversy or or reason for doubt, but from a compatibility standpoint, they were able to do things. I think a lot's been made of the combativeness between the league and the union. 
to an extent that's it's kind of supposed to be that way. Um, you know, a, a management group and a, and a labor group are they're typically not supposed to be like, you know, going out and throwing back beers and, and they have, they have deferring interests and they're competing for their, um, their separate interests. But even within that, right. It, it does seem that this relationship has been strained. So if you accept the baseline is, yeah, it's always going to be combative. Well, this one has seemed particularly combative. Nonetheless. Well, we've seen it and there's a track record here yeah. and they failed to reach agreement on other things such as the state of the 2020 season that ultimately the commissioner had to implement it. Then last year or this year, I guess it would be when the league wanted to delay the season, the union did not, they did not agree on that. They started the season on time, proved to be the right decision by the way. But when people ask, do you think there'll be a lockout? I point to the three or four things that they have not agreed upon putting COVID aside because they did do a good job with that. It was in their significant interest to do that. Right. But you look at all the other skirmishes that have taken place, and why would you believe that in the biggest skirmish of all, suddenly they're going to find religion? I don't see that happening. Right. There, there's a ton of issues here, and we're not, we don't have time today. Hopefully throughout the podcast, there will be opportunities. Oh, we'll, have you. We'll, we'll have time to go into every you know service time and, uh, and tanking and, and everything else. I do think at some point, the, the union to this point has made it clear they want to get players paid younger uh, and they want to incentivize competition. What's a little harder for me to pick out, and maybe this is intentionally so, is within those two buckets, which are the things they really need or, or the hill they're willing to die on? Um, maybe that's a bad analogy, but bad, bad, bad expression, but... Um, you know, is it more important to get players to arbitration earlier? Is it is it most important to get players to free agency earlier? I don't think that's ever going to happen. Is it most important to change the draft order? Do I think do, if we had them in this room right now, yeah, we had the union officials who were negotiating Bruce Meyer, Tony Clark, some of the other attorneys, and we injected truth serum into them and we forced them to talk. That's how we normally do these things. Yes, of course. Yeah. They would say, Evan, and you, you've heard this from them, it's not one thing. Right. It's got to be a global solution. And I believe that. And what's so interesting about a CBA, and maybe this is, again, getting into the weeds, but it is all of these levers that are in play and how they all work together. So those things you just identified, those are the goals of what they are trying to accomplish. Incentivizing competition, certainly getting payers played, players paid younger. And I think also players paid fairly throughout their careers. That's been a concern too. But at the same time, there's not one solution to those problems. There's not one way that – one magic bullet that makes those issues disappear. So what's fascinating about this is what they ultimately will come up with right. and how all of those changes – I assume there will be changes – will work together for, hopefully, the betterment of the sport. Because believe it or not, that is what should be the goal here. Should be the goal of the union, should be the goal of the league. They get caught up in their own histories, their own battles. And sometimes, in my opinion, they forget that let's get the sport to the best possible place. That should be the goal. I want to, I, I have a greater good topic point okay. for us. Um, 
well, I'll get I'll get you right right to there. The fact that it's a collection of issues in my own head, you know, there's a lot that goes on up there, so I can't say that it's necessarily um, a crystal clear way of seeing things. But from what I understand of 94, 95, that strike, th- there were multiple issues. You had revenue sharing, you had luxury tax, and you had a salary cap. The, sal- the players really had that one issue that you could point to and say, we are not doing this. Right? right? You are not putting a salary cap into this sport. The fact that it is a collection of issues here makes me wonder if it's, if it's harder to sell for, for a long fight. Right, it, it, you you would kind of have to have, I don't know that you need public buy-in, but certainly from your membership, it's got to be. It's easier to fight, I think, when you can express very clearly exactly what you're fighting for, and if it's a collection of issues, does that make it harder? I don't know. I do believe from talking to players that they see this collection of issues as worth fighting for. Yeah. So it's almost a singular to them. It's, we have to get back to this, we have to do this, all of that. I don't remember, because it's a long time ago now, 94, 95 specifically, it wasn't just the cap. And also 94, 95, one of the main issues was owners versus owners fighting over revenue yes. sharing and all of that. Yes. So, and we have some of that coming and up here too. That's always part of the equation. It's part of the equation for both sides. The union is formed of pitchers and hitters. They don't always have the same interest. Right. Older players and younger players, players from outside the United States and inside the United States. So there are all these factions within these particular groups. And it seems to me that ultimately the question again will be with the players, how hard are you willing to fight? Not are you willing to fight over one or two or three issues, but to what point are you willing to press this? Right. And that's the pressure point. That's where this really gets fascinating. So the, the, I think writers over time, you were just talking about the greater good of the, of the game. And, and probably it is the case that uh, that's one of the charges for writers, right, is, is to keep that in mind uh, because these are two self-interested parties. It, it almost like when they go through these negotiations they're not thinking about it and i don't think they're they're going to think about it except to the extent that it like ultimately impacts their own bottom lines right so is it a little bit pie in the sky for for us as writers to always go back to that greater good notion if what's happening on the ground is so clearly not about that to some degree, I agree with that. And if you look at the commissioner, people seem to have a misunderstanding of what the commissioner's role is. The commissioner is not necessarily there to serve the best interests of baseball. That's not his job. His job is to work for the owners and make the money and serve in their best interest. And if they align with the best interests of the game, so be it. The union's similar. They are charged. They exist to protect the rights of players. That said, all that said, and... It's really important to understand that, that their, their jobs and their issues are not necessarily aligned with these grandiose visions for the game. But my point would be, in response to that, the better the game is, the yeah. more money everyone makes. I think they if know that. They know that, but 
I don't know that they're seeing the forest for the trees all the time. They're in the trees. Right. And if you get a sport where there is more competition, if you get a sport where players are paid when they're most productive, these are all things that should benefit the game and actually should not be even in dispute. Maybe it's a dispute between the players and owners how to get there. I get that. That's the nature of this. But the greater good is really important because if you're trying to grow the game, as they always claim, both, oh, we want to grow the game. Really? Yeah. Well, don't have a work stoppage. Fix the sport. Make the game more entertaining. Make it more competitive. All of these things. And listen, it's not easy to do. And there are unintended consequences. There are things that come up you can't anticipate. Pandemics. All these things. Right. But at the same time, this is an entertainment product. And that should not get lost either. Yeah. Like sometimes when I'm doing uh, literally the inside ball, right? That, that's kind of what the labor stories often end up being. Is, you know, you're, you're explaining the owner's side. You're explaining the player's side. And I do sometimes think that, like, well, is anybody putting into context uh, how it affects fans? And, and probably more often than not, it doesn't happen. You know, so so at the same time where I sit there and kind of deride the notion of, of protecting the greater good, you can make an argument the other direction, which is that People should be more concerned with the third party, with with the the public, the you know Joe Schmo fan, paying than, customer, right? Than the interests of either of these two parties. But the parties aren't aren't in existence to yeah. The fans do not have a seat at the table, right? Which I'm sure fans. That's what like. we provide them. Yeah, well, I guess that's that's kind of our role. Our job yeah. is to explain what's going on, and yeah. And call this out when it needs to be called out. And guess what? In labor negotiations, and I know people get upset with this on both sides, there are times when things need to be called out. Often. Because there's a lot of BS that goes on. We both know that. So, yes, ultimately, if you're serving the greater good, you're making the product better and you are serving the fans. And it kind of all goes hand in hand, at least the way I see it. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust or is it a... mm, 
real POS. You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. You wrote a column a few weeks ago about Expanded postseason. So there's a lot of discussion about economics. That's what they're most concerned about. But then you have these couple pieces, the universal DH and the expanded postseason that are about economics, but they're also about the design of the game. Yes. And the aesthetic of the game and like the enjoyment of the game. Do you, are, are you still of the opinion that expanding the postseason would be a mistake? Putting the money aside just from the enjoyment of baseball, which, you know, somebody is allowed to be concerned with. I don't know that it's necessarily a mistake. The point of that column was... Maybe I'm misstating the column. No, 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 you're not. The point of the column was just really be careful and make sure that it's done properly where the regular season is not diminished. So you reward the first place teams in the divisions. You make it harder for the wild cards. You make sure that all of these things are still part of the equation. To me, to go from 12 to 14, we'd, we'd live. We'd be okay. But don't dilute it to the point where the regular season somehow is less meaningful. That was kind of, if I remember right, sometimes I forget what I write. <laughs> but if I remember right, that was, that was more the gist of it. And that ultimately is what most fans should be concerned about. I, now, at the time I wrote that, now my memory is coming back. It was to point out that if, those, if that format existed in the present season, the, the yeah. one that we just had, it would have allowed a lot of mediocre teams in. Right. It wouldn't have been great. And each year is different. Teams act differently if there's an expanded. You know, there's all kinds of things that are qualifiers there, which I pointed out. But I just wanted to show or demonstrate that, hey, this might not be the greatest thing, even though it seems like a small change. Now, I can live with it. I can live with it if it's done properly, but it needs to be done properly and... Ultimately, with expansion, we're going to get expanded playoffs anyway. And there's going to be expansion sometime in our lifetime, right. probably within the next 10 years. So I'm glad you think I'll make it that long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I'm the older one. Um, there are other rule changes that will be a part of this. You know, I, I think I end up doing, you know, Jason Stark for us will write a lot about these. Uh, you know, I, I tend more toward the, the economic stuff. You know, because I was an English major, that makes a lot of sense for me to do. <laughs> but a part of this negotiation will be potential rule changes. Yes. Are, are there some that you can give us a vote on or, or that, that you think are, 
are particularly important to get done this go around? So who we want to tick off here? Should I tick off both sides evenly? <laughs> Pitch clock, yes. Yeah. And I understand the concerns with it, but the players who have come up through the minors, the younger players that already experienced it, needs to happen. We need to pick up the pace. The shift, I'm not sure on. I'm not, you know, one way or the other on. I don't think that fixes the offensive issue. Now, as with the CBA, the question of offense and pace of play and all these things, it is not going to be one fix. There are a number of fixes. But in general, I believe, yes, the pace of play has to be increased. Not necessarily length, but the, the games drag. I'm doing the games, the postseason games on Fox, and as much as everyone involved with those broadcasts love baseball, and everyone does, yep. we're sitting there like, what the heck is going on? Let's go. Right. So that's got to be fixed. There does has to. There also has to be some restoration of balance between the pitcher and the hitter. I don't know that it's so easy to accomplish. I get that. Yeah. But some things have to be done along those lines as well. And I don't know if it's strike zone. I don't know if it's shift. I don't know if it's all of the above, but these are issues that definitely need to be resolved. Yeah, and th- this is where if if it was a little bit more of an idealistic world, those discussions might be separate of the economics. But they but they are kind of naturally if, if they it's all part of the CBA. It is, but they all ultimately might be separate anyway. Because remember, the commissioner has the right to give notice yep. of playing rules changes one year in advance, and then implement them a year later. Now, he's resisted doing this. Yep. I mean, as antagonistic as the relationship has been, the commissioner has made a point of not doing that to inflame the tensions further. But at some point, if they can't get to that in the CBA, they've got to get to it ultimately in some other fashion. Right. Maybe that's the way. Now, a couple of other things I should mention here, and I wrote about this during the playoffs, about – bringing back starting pitching and instituting rules to make starting pitching more valuable again. That, to me, is really important. And you can restrict the size of a staff. You can do Jason's double hook rule. There are all kinds of things that need and should be considered. How far they get with it, I don't know. Because they're going to be so much fighting. They'll be so caught up with fighting over the core economics. My fear, and this is exactly why I wrote this column, my fear is that this stuff gets cast aside and they just go status quo. And the status quo, I'm sorry. As much as we all love the game, the game aesthetically right now is not all that pleasing. Yeah, it's taken years for people to kind of get to that point where it's where it's kind of okay to say that. It was for a while there. A lot of people still don't feel it's okay. Yeah. Well, they're wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's not unreasonable to acknowledge that. I think the commissioner in part probably didn't want to inflame the players. That's why he hasn't yes. unilaterally implemented those things with, with a year's notice. But also probably, you know, if you make those changes and you don't have the union's backing, you you, you put yourself on the line. You know, it, if they go wrong, it, yes. You know, it, it's Rob Manfred's, uh, you know, but you know what? neck out there. That's true, and no one wants to look stupid. I get it, but you know what? Let's say, for instance, they ban the shift tomorrow, and they put two infielders on each side of the bag, everybody on the dirt, and all that, and it went wrong for whatever reason. People mm-hmm. just didn't like it. Let's say you can always just go back. That's right. I mean, that's not permanent. Thing, we're talking about baseball here, okay? We're not talking about climate change or anything like that where these are really meaningful life things 
you're talking about baseball. And if we went back and forth, it's okay. Right. Really, we'd be okay. Right. No, I, I think I agree with that. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's some, there, there are people involved in labor in the sport who don't like when sports writers write about labor. I mean, for a variety of reasons. One, maybe they, they won't always have the context. But because they will often try to treat it as a, a sporting contest. I mean, to an extent, it, it it is two sides competing against each other. I don't think it's a, a total stretch. So with disregard for those people who don't like that, shall we make a prediction about what happens from here? <laughs> well, How long does a lockout – do we have a lockout? How long does it last? The people who have those complaints about our coverage, they're not I think in general, wrong. not just us. They're not entirely wrong. And I would say also that – I wanted to be a sports writer. I didn't want to be a medical writer. I didn't want to be a labor writer. I didn't want to be a business writer. I didn't want to be an accountant. And yet in this job, I seem to need to be all these things. So I get it. I get what they're saying. And listen, we're not attorneys. And we don't have the same perspective they do. And I understand what I think that's a good thing sometimes. Well, yes, it is a good thing. So prediction, I say lockout. And I say it ends mid-January to early February. I think lockout, I think it's on the earlier side. I think it's early January at the latest. And it wouldn't surprise me if it's December. Because I keep rationalizing it that there's more money now in the sport than there's ever been. I think even if you adjust for inflation, I think there's no question that's true. I haven't done. And there's more money coming. And there's more money coming. Um, I do think the collection of issues uh, difference compared to the past is notable where if you don't have this one thing that you're going to plant your flag on either side, well, then it becomes a little bit of, well, what are we doing here? You know, let's go, everybody go out and make, make a lot of money as, as they already are. But I do think after 26 years of quote unquote labor peace, which is uninterrupted labor peace, right? I, I don't. I don't. It's kind of a misnomer because has it been really peaceful the last year? Would you call well, this peace? It's been continuing play. Yeah, that's, that's what right. I'm talking about that's more accurate. Yeah. Um, you know, so so even though there's been uh, that amount, so with that amount of labor peace that we've had, you almost wonder if, if either side is ready to test the other a little bit. If uh, Rob Manfred's got a little unfinished business from 26 years ago. If the players are, um, I think they're ready to poke each other in the chest a bit, not to I think boil that's it down, but to be put at a minimum, they're ready to poke each other in the chest. And the problem I have here with both sides is that they're caught up in their own history. Yeah. And that sometimes what happened in the past, the players sticking it to the owners for all those years. And now the owners sticking it to the players. In recent years, these feelings get so pent up and there's so much frustration and even anger that saying it clouds their judgment would be an overstatement, but it certainly narrows it it, it narrows it and influences the way they think. And it's understandable, but it's not healthy. And in my opinion, that's where we are. And I'm sure anyone on either side listening might object to that. Prove me wrong. Thanks, Ken. So in coming weeks, we're going to read the CBA line by line. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just kidding. But we are going to talk more 
about the topics, some of the topics that feed into the CBA. I think service time will make some sense. Tanking. We've got writers all across the sport who can chime in on how different subjects have affected their clubs. So should be some roundtable fun. Next up on the Athletic Baseball Show podcast feed is going to be Derek Van Riper and Keith Law. That's on Friday. And remember, you can save 33% off an annual subscription to The Athletic by going to theathletic.com slash baseball show. I'll see you next week.